evening, Uni Church. Uh, our passage today is taken from Romans 15:14 to 33. It will be on your new sheets as well. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God, by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution that I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. I was second year uni student at a Christian camp and one night my friends and I decided to climb a lighthouse. Uh, We managed to climb to the top of this lighthouse, it was really cold, Uh, but when I got up there, what I saw, I was amazed. See, a lighthouse works best at night, right? Guiding ships, avoiding rocks, avoiding shallow uh, water so that they won't get shipwrecked. But what I saw when I was up there at the lighthouse was that this ray, this powerful beam of light shining so powerfully, so brightly that it made clear what was once darkness. 
And this is what's been happening so far in Romans 12 to 15. In this series, the gospel is like a lighthouse. The good news of Jesus, helping illuminate different areas of our Christian life. And Paul, the author of this letter, helps shine the gospel light into our very own lives, helping us live transformed lives. So, in, in line of what Paul has been expanding so far in his letter in Romans chapter 1 to 11, in, in light of God's mercy and grace, in light of how Jesus has saved both the Gentiles and the Jews to be his precious children, in light of that mercy, what exactly has Paul been instructing the church so far? Well, in chapter 12, the gospel light shone itself onto the patterns of this world urging us to live a life that's different from this world, a life of love. And in chapter 13, we see how the gospel light shone itself onto the rulers, how we ought to submit to governing rulers of our days. And in chapter 14 and 15, we see how the gospel light shines itself on church relationships, how the strong and the weak should love each other how they ought to consider one another, accept one another, serve one another. See, the gospel is good, life-changing news. Where the gospel shines, the gospel changes every aspect of our lives. So for tonight, how does the gospel light change how we see mission? How does the gospel help us in mission both personally, locally, and globally across countries? I think in this room, uh, we all can have different emotion when it comes to the response of thinking about missions, right? So what's your current emotion when you think about God's mission? Does it excite you? Does it sadden you? Does it bring you fear, or are you, do you feel guilty about it? Or have you not really thought about it before? Well, in this passage, through Paul's own recount on his own missionary journey, and in the invitation to the church, we see that Paul wants the lighthouse of the gospel not only to shine on our Christian life, but he wants the light of mercy and grace to shine on the lost, on the sinners, and on the unreached. And we see this in two compelling ways tonight. Firstly, the gospel compels us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And secondly, the gospel compels us to support the proclamation. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus and to support the proclamation. So firstly, the gospel compels us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Paul answers really two questions in this first half of the passage why he is proclaiming the gospel, and how he is proclaiming the gospel. So firstly, why is he proclaiming the gospel? Well, the answer is, Paul was compelled by grace to do so. Have a look at verse 15. In the middle of verse 15, he says, Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles just means people who are not Jews. So everyone in this room, if you are not Jewish then you are Gentile. Now, the Gentiles did not grow up knowing about God, and so by nature, Gentiles are naturally rebellious towards God, in other words, sinners. 
Now we know in the book of Romans, Jews would also need to be saved by Jesus, their sinners too. But here, Paul says he's specifically chosen by God to be an apostle to a minister, sorry, to the Gentiles. And in verse 16, we see that he is given this priestly duty to proclaim the gospel of God to them. Now, the goal of his proclamation to the Gentiles was to have the Gentiles be an acceptable offering to God. Have a look at verse 16. An acceptable offering to God. Not just for them to believe in Jesus or accept Jesus, but become an acceptable, pleasing, mature offering to God. Notice how the verse continues to mention that these Gentile Christians are to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. A process of sanctification, of ongoing transformation to Christian, to new Christianhood, to mature Christianhood. And so that's why you see in verse 18, have a look there, that Paul's hope in speaking, in preaching the gospel, it would lead the Gentiles to obey God. Now in Romans 8, Paul, uh, Paul sees the church as God's children. Now I'm not a parent, uh, unlike Jacob or Sam, but, but I think the goal of a child is to grow up. Am I wrong? Uh, to be mature, right? And that's what we see here, right? For the Gentiles, the young Christians, Paul wants them to be transformed, to obey God, to be an acceptable offering to him. And that's why we see earlier in the passage in verse 15, he says, Yet I have written quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. He wrote the second half of Romans, chapter 12 to 15, so that the church can be mature, the church can be sanctified by the Holy Spirit and be an acceptable offering to God. So Paul is proclaiming the gospel because he's been ordained to be a minister, to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And the goal of this proclamation is so that the Gentiles may believe and be an acceptable offering through the help of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Paul tells us how he proclaims the gospel. Have a look at verse 18. I will not venture to speak on anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. This is Paul's missionary blueprint to fully proclaim Jesus by teaching the gospel and by living out the gospel. The gospel is fully proclaimed by what Paul has said and what he has done. Imagine this. How would someone believe in Jesus if you teach them the purest theology, uh, the clearest gospel, but you don't love them or serve them practically? Or imagine this. You love someone really, really well. You serve them, you care for them, but you never tell them the reason why. It's easy for people to misunderstand the gospel, right? And I think in our generation, in our culture, uh, it's easy to undermine the gospel if we just speak the truth and not live it out in love and service. It's like a third-year student telling a first-year student in linear algebra. And and the third-year student says, you don't need to study for this exam, it's super easy. And then later on you found out that this third-year student, they fell twice and they're retaking the exam Right? That third year student lost all credibility, all trustworthiness, because they have not lived out what they said. 
Paul is saying to fully proclaim the gospel, it has to be taught, but you also have to live it out. And see, his ministry is uniquely empowered by the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders. Have a look in verse 19. I don't know if you remember this, but in our Bible study groups a few weeks ago, we looked through Acts 14. Uh, And Paul healed a lame man, uh, and many Gentiles came to worship him and his mission partner, Barnabas. And Paul said this to them. He said, friends, why are you doing this? Don't worship me. We are only human like you. We are bringing you the good news. Any opportunity Paul has, any good work, any miracle, any signs, he uses it to support the proclamation of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's missionary, missional blueprint to fully proclaim the gospel of Christ by preaching, supported by service and good deeds, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the reality for Paul is that he had many struggles. Later on in verse 30, he says this himself. Those people who opposed him uh, and his preaching of the gospel, in Acts we've seen that he's been stoned, he's been jailed. So what motivates him to proclaim Jesus when it's so costly to them? Like, how do we proclaim the gospel of Jesus when we see that it could be costly for us? Well, Paul's motivation comes from the gospel alone. In verses 21, he quotes Isaiah 52, and you can see a portion on that on the screen. Jesus was this servant who came to earth to serve us sinners and the sick. A servant who many religious leaders was appalled at him. They actually wanted to crucify him, and they did. But he became this lighthouse for humanity, didn't he? He took the ugliness of our daily sins. He took the guilt of our failings, our moral failings. He took the punishment of our wrongdoing, that is death. And instead, he died and was nailed on the cross. As Isaiah suggested in that passage, he became disfigured, marred in a form beyond human likeness. He died for our sake, and he willingly endured this pain So we who are sinners in darkness, Jesus became light for us, for the Jews and the Gentiles. And the great news is, we can see this in this passage, right? That he did not stay dead. He was raised, lifted up, exalted highly. And Isaiah says, it will sprinkle, or in other words, it will awe many nations and their kings. And this is why Paul quotes Isaiah, because this is Paul's motivation Paul is now the witness to the exalted servant who came to save. Those who were not told, let them see the great mercy and grace of Jesus. Those who have not heard of the gospel, help them understand, so that they may be, believe, be in awe, and be saved. This is the gospel, uh, a lighthouse that shines so brightly, an invitation for all to come and believe in him. So if you do not call yourself a Christian today, if you do do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I want you to consider how precious this news is for Paul, that he's willing to suffer and to die by preaching the good news. Uh, The news that someone who was once an enemy of God can now become his beloved children. 
I think this news is worth investigating, worth finding more about so that you can make an informed decision yourself. If you're interested to hear more about this good news, well, why don't you chat with someone who brought you along to church tonight? Or chat to one of the staff members here at St. Jude's. I think it's worth investigating. It's worth believing in a God who loves you. If you do call yourself a Christian tonight, is your desire the same as Paul? Have a look at verse 20. He says, It has been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, to proclaim Jesus to those who do not know him. Well, do you, my friends, have the same desire as Paul? Although we are not poor, although we're not set apart by God to preach to the Gentiles, to plant churches where there has not been any churches there before, although our role in God's mission might look different to Paul, do we have the same desire as Paul? The desire to see those who have not yet known Christ know him. You see, there is a need for gospel mission, both personally in your life and in community, right? Both locally and internationally. Like, just have a think. Many of your classmates might not identify themselves as believing in Jesus. They might not even know the gospel. Gospel need. Let's have a think about our local churches. In the Anglican diocese here, there are 40 vacant ministry spots. Gospel need. Uh, Across the Australian theological colleges, they've seen a 12% drop in enrollment. Gospel need. Uh, The northern western suburbs of Victoria is growing immensely, but not many churches are planted there. Gospel need. And there's a constant need for Christians and ministry workers in regional Victoria. Gospel need. Internationally, let me show you this map. It's uh, taken from the Joshua Project. Many Joshuas tonight, uh, but the Joshua Project... And it shows the unreached places internationally. In this map, the biggest gospel need is the 1040 window. They need to know Jesus because they have not been reached. But friends, it's not the need that should motivate us. It shouldn't be the need that should motivate us. No, it should be the gospel alone that will motivate us. It's not the need, it's the gospel See, when you are saved by Jesus, when you have been brought from death to life, you are already called into full-time ministry. You are already called to be living sacrifices for God. You are already called to write a blank check for God that he would work through you in how many, in whatever ways he wants to. He's already called you to be a lighthouse to the lost, to call you to mission for God. And so for some of us, it might mean being a missionary as a student, missionaries as professional workers, missionaries as a parent, as a neighbour, as local ministers, as global mission partners. You can see this, right? Not everyone in this room will become global mission partners, but all of us accord to his global mission. Not all of us will become global mission partners, but all of us will be called to his global mission. So I have two questions for us to ponder on as university students, as young workers, as young adults. Number one, 
What is most going to further the kingdom of God in your life? Right? As a university student, as a young professional, the world is your oyster. There's literally 10 possibilities in your life that you can do. All of them might be really good things too. Which seven of them will further God's kingdom in your life? How will you use your time now to further yourself, to equip yourself, to be inspired? Second question. What is most going to further God's kingdom in the world? So with that seven possibilities, maybe you now have three possibilities. Which one of them will further God's kingdom most in the world? I know many people in this room are not from Melbourne originally. So how will you take the gospel back to your hometowns, to your city, to your country? How will you powerfully proclaim the gospel in a different context one day? And if one of the possibilities, friends, is that you are considering paid full-time ministry, why don't you explore that? Have a chat with Sam and the St. staff team about doing a traineeship here at St. Friends, our identity is deep in Christ. If our gospel is our identity, then we'll do any job, any role, in any context to proclaim his name. Whatever it takes to share the gospel light to the lost, to the unreached. Imagine if everyone in this room believes in the gospel so powerfully that we're willing to proclaim the gospel full time. Imagine what impact we might have to the kingdom of God. Now, my favorite podcast is uh, the New York Times, the Daily. Uh, it's because I like to listen to smart people. Um, yeah, I don't understand half of it sometimes. Uh, but the latest episode, before the program began, uh, the ad was asking for human- humanitarian aid to help children living under the poverty line. And I felt so guilty, because I know their needs are so dire, but I don't often think enough about helping them or moving myself into action. And I wonder if we feel the same guilt sometimes when it comes to supporting our friends who are evangelized to their non-Christian friends? Do we sometimes feel the same guilt to people who are evangelists in our church or to church planters or to supporting our St. Jude staff team, local ministers or the global mission partners? I think the reason for this is that we sometimes feel so disconnected to the everyday needs of the missionary. We don't see them at work so we feel disconnected, right? But Paul wants us to be in partnership in the gospel, not based on guilt, but one based on joy that comes from the gospel, to join them in mission. And this is my second point tonight. The gospel compels us to support the proclamation. Have a look at verse 30. Paul urges them to join him, not to be passive or disconnected, but to actively join him in his mission. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord of Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He offers two ways to join him in his mission. Firstly, we see that he's asking the Roman church to aid him practically, financially, when he comes visit them in verse 24. And we can see the church 
aiding and practically serving each other churches too. Have a look at verse 26. The Gentile church hasn't even seen the Jewish Christian churches yet, but yet out of their joy, they want to financially give to them in verse 27. Not one out of guilt, but one that owes it to them. Out of the joy in receiving the gospel from them, they joyously give and support. This is the vision of a united global church, isn't it? That the needs of any poor church or Christian is met by the generosity of a Christian who gives according to their means. The second way the church is joining Paul in his mission is by praying for him. He's urging them to join him in the mission through prayer, right, in verse 30. And he kind of has two prayer points. The first prayer point is to keep him safe from those opposing the gospel. And the second prayer point is that he may be able to take the support to other churches, to the poor, and to visit the Roman church and be refreshed by them. And so this kind of tells me one thing, right? When you pray for a Christian who is in mission, whatever the context, you are joining them in kingdom work. You're joining them in building up the kingdom. You're part of the mission. Now, Zoe and I, my wife, have been in ministry traineeship for the last seven months. And before we started, we had to raise our own wages. And being Asian, it was like the worst thing ever, asking people for money. Uh, But people trusted us. People trusted us in proclaiming the gospel to Melbourne University students. And when I asked why, why they gave to Zoe and I, this is what they said. We wanted to just join in the kingdom work by supporting you two. Isn't it simple and profound that there is both the proclamation of the gospel and the supporting of the gospel, but you're both doing kingdom work? I'm often reminded that Paul, this greatest missionary that we have seen, had a team of churches who joined in him in his kingdom work. Friends, we ought to do the same, right? We all are in different phases of our life. For most of us, we are students, but as time goes on, I think we will be in one or two groups, or maybe both. Right? One group will be sent by the church to do missions locally or internationally, and the other group will be just as much as part of that mission in supporting them. But you see, friends, Paul doesn't offer us a passive middle ground. There is no passive middle ground. Both groups highlighted by Paul is actively involved in this kingdom-building work. The gospel compels you to proclaim. The gospel compels you to support. Now, bear with me here. I want you to raise your hands if you are not from Melbourne. So, raise your hands if you're not from Melbourne. Now, Keep your raised hand or raise your hands if in 10 years' time you are not sure if you would stay in Melbourne. All right? Friends, have a look around you. Over, maybe over, raise them higher. Come on. We're, we're spirit driven, right? Maybe, okay, half of this room, I reckon, more than half of this room will be sent out to a different city, to a different country one day, or to regional places, right? Uh, Maybe many of these places will be less rich, less resourced, and its churches not big. 
Uh, yep, you can raise your hands down now. I put it in my notes to make sure. <laughs> my question is, if so many of us is being sent out, how will some of you go and preach the gospel in your future context, and how will some of you support them in that? How will you join them in their potential struggle? Because I want us to realize, right, this is unique. We have a unique chance as a congregation to deeply know each other so well that one day in our cross-cultural settings, we'll still be supporting each other. How can we use the strength of our diversity here at Uni Church to make Jesus' name shine even brighter in the darkness of this world? Imagine in 10 years' time, most of us would be hopefully out of university, maybe moved on from Uni Church. Uh, maybe half of us has gone to a different city, to a different country, but imagine this. Imagine a close network of friends who are supporting, praying, financially giving in whatever role or capacity there is. Christians who practically and prayerfully support each other. Imagine how refreshed it would be, like how Paul felt in verses 32, being refreshed. Let's do that in 10 years' time, but let's start that habit now. Let's do that in 10 years' time, but let's start this habit now. So I encourage you, as you go out this week, as you go out to dinner, as you attend your Bible study small groups, let's try to understand, encourage, and support each other. Let's try to understand each other's missional ambition. Where would your fellow friend go for the sake of the kingdom? What is their needs for this, for their context? Let's try to encourage each other in mission. What would inspire your Bible study group in mission? Should you be praying and encouraging the global mission partner that's been assigned to your Bible study group? Or should your group come to the monthly Monday night prayer nights at St. Jude's? How do we encourage each other for that? And finally, let's support each other. What support does the person you sit next to during dinner needs tonight? in order for them to preach the gospel. Now in the future, what are their practical needs? Let's start now in building gospel partnership with each other at UniChurch. Let's make this happen, my dear friends. Like a lighthouse helping ships avoid shipwreck, may we help the gospel be a lighthouse to the lost, help them find safety in the assuring grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make his name fully known in the world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have saved many of us to know you and to love you. Help us be inspired and be compelled by the gospel alone to make Jesus known whatever the cost, whatever the needs. And help us be a church, a uni church that supports each other, making him known both now and in 10 years' time. May your kingdom of God be brightly shining for the world. Amen.